If you've been enjoying the La Brea Purvea but not sticking around for the last moments, you should know that if you want to contribute, you can email shout at yallheard.me with your contributions, questions, or theories. I'd love to hear from you. Probably. You seem cool. Brea. Welcome back to another episode of the La Brea Purvea where we recap and deep dive into the NBC sci-fi adventure drama, La Brea. I am your purveyor, Pete Phillips, and this week we get another double episode, and the finale is coming up soon. I don't know what NBC is thinking, giving a looming writer's strike, but they're dumping these episodes out like they have something big coming next. And what is coming next? It's another round of The Voice and some game show with the vapidity of Jimmy Fallon. So while we could have hit mid-March with this show, we are experiencing almost too much of a good thing. With that being said, let's get into that good thing. Episode recap. Just in case that you forgot that La Brea is a show, they deliver a classic trope this episode. It is the wedding episode. But we don't start with a wedding. We actually start with Caroline and Silas. They are trying to fix time travel using a few ripped pages that Dr. Moore had stashed in his cave. They don't stand a chance, and since Caroline has been AWOL, she doesn't know that the journal is floating around back at camp. But in order to keep up appearances, she's actually leaving to go back to the clearing. And right after she leaves, Silas gets shot. But by who? At the clearing, no one is short of semi-formal wear, and they give Izzy the requisite exposition where she mentions that the clothes are from the costume truck that they found in season one. Everyone is getting ready for Ty and Para's wedding. Ty gets Eve to be his woman of honor or best woman, I can't remember how they phrased it, Uh, and she is, of course, honored to do so, but she doesn't really have anything to do with the wedding except for that title. In the same conversation, he explains to Eve and Gavin what Project Blue Moon is and what would be the result of it. Reminder... That is, James going back to when Isaiah was kidnapped, stopping that, and sending everyone on a completely different path. And, if we're lucky, Josh never exists. As a way to fish for information, Ty invites James to the wedding, and I'm sure he'll bring a nice gift, too. He's rich. At some point, Levi shows up, and he's like, Oh yeah, Ty told me about Project Blue Moon, too. Come on, Ty. You're a therapist, and this is a clear violation of patient confidence. Tisk, 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 tisk. But anyway, Levi tries to enlist Eve to poison James with flower seeds, but she's resistant because it would crush Gavin. Hey, remember how everyone was obsessed with the red-leafed or red-flowered trees for a while? No one seems to see them anymore or even look for them or care. And Gavin hasn't had any visions either. If we braided all these loose ends together, we would have a galvanized steel cable strong enough to hold down a giant dire wolf. Veronica is hanging out at her new place, which is Lucas's Mustang. She's perusing Aaron's journal, which strikes me as odd because it's supposed to be so valuable. I would have expected Gavin to hold on to it. But Veronica discovers Bible verses in the back of the journal. She recognizes them as the ones that Aaron would make her and Lily read all the time. But she, like everyone else, will be going to the wedding, maybe to be distracted from this problem. As the Clearing Clan enter the fort, it looks like the fort folks cut down every single sunflower that was in that field that Scott was meditating by in the season premiere. 
but Scott is also being lauded with appreciation for killing Tammet. He tells Josh that he's trying to deal with it emotionally, but he doesn't make it look that hard. Josh and Riley are all lovey-dovey going into the wedding, but Josh overhears Riley tell her dad about her concern that Caroline has been missing with those pages that she found in Dr. Moore's cave. Well, Josh is none too happy to hear this, because she didn't tell him about that, and he uses it as an excuse to act betrayed and indignant. It always takes him, like, the smallest hint of an excuse to act this way. Josh, you suck! He's so self-absorbed and entitled... Like, Riley doesn't owe him anything, and if he wasn't so overly dramatic, she probably would be more willing to tell him things. And if you remember last episode, we asked, why does Levi want James dead? It's not a benevolent mission from 1998, as he previously said it was. It's personal. His wife Marissa died when a sinkhole caused a building to collapse onto her. Recognizing the pain he's going through with the lost, Eve says that she wants to be there for him like he was for her when Gavin was drinking and she lost him. No, that is a terrible idea. For Levi, that means her helping kill James. Levi is a man on a mission. He is obsessed with killing James. Kira shows up at the wedding too, and she is coming in hot. And not the hot that I'm always saying she is. She says that she was operating on James's orders when she sent the exiles to look for the notebook. And since James left the building, there seems to have been a coup. Kira is in charge now, and the guards are now loyal to her. Meanwhile, Lucas and Veronica have snuck off to a hot spring because Veronica is spiraling over the journal and the Bible verses and all that stuff. So Lucas finds a natural hot spring. Is it gross to swim in a natural hot spring? I guess people have been doing it for thousands of years, but it still strikes me as kind of gross. There are some intimacy challenges, and it does make you wonder if Veronica's are related to her background with Aaron. Was she abused? I know we talked about this last episode. Or was she taught that modesty is vital to being quote-unquote good? Either way, they both get into the hot spring in their underwear, and they kiss and have a relaxing time with wine and Pop-Tarts. Despite us not seeing a handoff, and that we've never seen Veronica and Gavin as pals before, the journal magically lands back with Gavin for the wedding, where he passes it off to Caroline, who's going to try to work on things while everyone is having fun. Oh, and there's Ella's ring during the wedding ceremony. Cute! But where is Ella? It's weird that you didn't invite her, Ty. But don't worry, everybody. Judah is there with a scarf on. What is wrong with that guy? And there's merriment all around. And James meets Josh. Then Gavin comes over. And it's three generations of morons with great hair all smiling at each other. An evil genius grandfather. A father who's obsessed with the idea of family but has no time to be in the family. And a kid who can't even be happy with miraculously getting the girl he wanted since day one. Oh, I forgot to tell you, Sam continues doing this thing that he's done for a while now. He projects wedding jitters onto Ty and assures him that it's all right to be nervous. But Ty doesn't seem nervous about the marriage. He seems more nervous about the total destruction of his circumstances. And then later, Sam's like, Uh, Josh, if you're into my daughter, maybe stop being a total douche about every little thing. Which is correct, but is it your place to say that, Sam? James also gets a chance to talk to Caroline. He tries to reconcile with her, but she's not having it. Ultimately, we're led to believe that he has decided to give up on Project Blue Moon because Ty gave him a new perspective in one therapy session. He can have a relationship with Gavin, Josh, and everyone else now. 
he doesn't have to go back in time and raise a little boy. But even so, Levi could care less. He wants to poison James, even though he told Eve he wouldn't. He gets really close, too, but Eve cuts in in the last minute and says, I think you gave James my drink. Except every single cup looks the same, Eve. On her way to trying to save James, though, Gavin intercepts her and tries to get her to dance. But she pulls away and goes to Levi. So, you know, given Harris' men and their conclusion jumping, she's going to Levi. And something is going on with these two. So he demands an explanation later. Then get your head out of your ass! But that explanation is only good enough to get Levi written off by Gavin completely. Gavin, Levi tried to kill James today, but it's over now. I was trying to protect your family. I thought we were past all the secrets. Clearly I was wrong. Gavin, just... No, 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 you and I, we're through. I don't want you anywhere near my family. And then we find out that Caroline got shot and killed. And Silas, also shot, ruins Lucas and Veronica's date, so they drag him back to the fort. He tells Gavin that Kira's crew killed Caroline. Whew, that's tough to say. And they shot him. Then, in an effort to escape, Kira takes Ty hostage on his wedding day. Fort folks get shot. Par has got the arrows out. It is mayhem. Caroline dies in one shot. But Silas will just not die for all the times that he's been injured. So he lays quietly in recovery while Veronica sits with him and the journal trying to crack the code of the Bible verses. Did you crack it before she did? Bible verses have chapters and verse numbers. The numbers end up leading to GPS coordinates. And in a scene that we don't see play out, when Silas was awake, he told Veronica that Aaron was a computer engineer in the basement of Lazarus. He was nobody important, and he stole other people's work and passed it off as his own. So he stole Dr. Moore's work, but why did he want to bring it back to 10,000 B.C.? There may be a hint in the previews for episode 13, but we need to get through episode 12 first. With Kira in control and James locked out, our core group of characters decide that they need to break into the building so that James can take control back. Given Kira's cold-blooded methods, it makes sense that James could convince the Harrises that he's a better option than her. James has a guard buddy named Elliot, too, who can sneak them into the building. But Elliot also drops an amazing detail. When Kira took over the building, she goofed, and all the animals in the lab have been released. This leads me to believe that the building is full of animals. But to temper your expectations, it is not full of animals. We only get to see one CGI saber-toothed tiger later. And I was extremely disappointed by this development. At the clearing, it's obvious that not everyone got to go to the wedding because Ella and a few others have been working on building a water tower. It's not too high, but it's kind of cute. One guy who's helping out slips and almost falls, but he's okay. What's not okay is the 2x4 that he was holding, which falls to the ground and... Well, listen, this episode is called The Swarm, and it's about a swarm of prehistoric yellow jackets. Somehow, a few city blocks fell onto this yellow jacket nest and didn't disturb them a bit. But when one 2x4 falls to the ground, it is time for them to rage. And this sense clearing people in all different directions, hiding in cars, doing whatever they can to stay safe. At the same time, elsewhere, Veronica and Riley are roaming the woods looking for a device that can show them where the coordinates from the Bible lead to. 
Riley unloads on Veronica about her situation with Josh. And let me repeat. Josh sucks. She doesn't need Josh. And to dump all this on Veronica? I mean, this girl has enough to worry about at the start of this episode. Teaser, she's going to have a lot more to worry about after this episode. When they get back to the clearing, it seems like everyone disappeared, but Scott pulls them into a truck so that they don't get killed by extremely poisonous, large, yellow jackets. Although in the distance, Veronica sees Ella. She's down. She got stung. We need to save her. She does move, so she's not dead. And then Riley remembers that there's an EpiPen in the first aid kit, but that's in the bus, and they have to be careful, as the Yellow Jacket will have excellent field position. So not to drag things out for you, they find the pen, Veronica goes out, gets Ella, but drop the pen outside, and in the end, Ella and Veronica have both been stung and will die, but there's only one EpiPen to save someone, so Ella shoves it in Veronica, and then she dies. I'm relieved because her character was doing pretty much nothing. She could have been a solid artist in the Northwest if Gavin just left her alone. But now Veronica has another 10 tons of guilt laid on her back. As for the bees, in the end, Scott uses a 100% impossible weapon, a flame-throwing super soaker filled with antifreeze to burn the bees. Super soakers are made of plastic, and plastic melts. Still, this is better than their laundry detergent and water flooding the colony method. My mom had yellow jackets, and in my experience, this just made them more upset. Later that night, Veronica mourns Ella by a fire, but Riley is there to comfort her. And I'm pretty sure we're all thinking the same thing. Okay, where's Lucas? Go back in time a little bit, though, because uh, some other crazy stuff was happening in this episode. Kira releases Ty, and he understands her position of trying to save the project. But he asks if she could send his friends home. I wonder if that's everyone in the clearing or just his friends. Either way, she says no. Levi is also somewhere else digging up a sack of C4 explosives that he's going to take to the Lazarus building. He has had enough. After Elliot lets James's group into the secret entrance, Levi shows up and knocks out Elliot and takes his security pass and he goes in behind them. We discover him later strapping the explosives to a power source of the building. But before we find him there, James, Eve, Gavin, and Ty are hanging out in the building lounge. Gavin goes to block off some entrances to try to keep them safe in the lounge. Ty tries to go to the infirmary so that he can get his cancer pills. And Eve stays with James, who is working furiously to gain control of the building. And then there's this thing with Izzy. She's heading towards the building because... She wants to save slash talk some sense into Levi. I need to find Levi. I'm worried about him too, but we have no idea where he is. Do you remember when I was in the hospital? I couldn't have gotten through without Levi. Okay, on my bad days, Levi was the one to snap me out of it. And he told me that he was going to go down to the cafeteria and get a cup of coffee. And he was not going to leave until I got out of bed, walked down there, and had a cup of coffee with him. He waited in that cafeteria for two days before I made it. He hadn't slept. He looked like crap, but he was there for me. Okay, now I need to be there for him. Uh, oh my God. Sam? I found Levi. He did this to you? Yeah. Now he's headed to the building with a bunch of plastic explosives. Is, what are you doing? I need to get to that building. Izzy, don't! I'm sorry, I have to. So, somewhere in the building, Gavin goes into a door. He sees Levi, but he's stuck in some sort of, like, plexiglass structure. 
Uh, he can't talk sense into Levi, who tells him that he needs to get out of the building as soon as possible. Levi doesn't seem to want to harm Gavin. He wants to just blow up the building. He arms the explosives with a 15-minute timer that will begin when he pulls his trigger. Then he sets off to find Kira and holds her at gunpoint. He wants her to channel all the power in the building to a portal, which also has some explosives laid around it. And I'm a little confused here because he already has the base of the tower strapped with explosives. Like, the whole thing's going to go either way. At no point do we see any animals except, as I mentioned, Gavin being pursued by a saber-toothed tiger for a little bit. Just as Ty gets to the infirmary and opens the doors, he hears Gavin cry for help, and he goes and grabs an axe so he can save him, which he does. He kills a saber-toothed tiger with one blow of an axe to the back, and he does not get the pills. This makes me upset. So Eve is with James, and she's getting suspicious. It turns out that he's not trying to regain control of the building. He's actually finishing Project Blue Moon. Actually, it's a Blue Moon commercial. Eve pushes back, James pushes her, they scuffle, and he knocks her out. James managed to escape, too, and Kira snuck out as well. Her escape is comedic because she literally slinks away in the background. And with so many people leaving, somehow Izzy got through the front door and is now in the building. Izzy, you shouldn't be here! Izzy, he's right. You need to go now. That's exactly what I said to you in the hospital, that you stayed. No. Izzy, this is different. No, it's not. I needed help then, like you do now. Okay, but I'm not going to help you here. What are you talking about? I'm going to be in the cafeteria. Okay? When you're ready to talk, I'm going to be there. Izzy, this whole building is going to explode. And it's going to explode with me in it. Like, this situation has a literal clock on it, not like your leg situation was. Out of fear of killing Izzy... Levi tries to stop the bomb, but even 1998 knows that Levi is ruled by emotion, so they sabotaged his switch. He can't stop it. Everybody has 18 seconds to escape the building. And then... That's it. There's a preview afterwards, but we'll cover that a little bit later. What just happened? So, I mean, my first question here is, uh, where are the displaced Lazarus employees going to go now? We have a 10,000 BC refugee crisis, and if you ask me, it looks like some people inside the building should have been a little kinder to the people outside of the building. Am I right? I don't see any condos or subdivisions nearby, so we can expect that this group of people is in almost the same state as the La Brea gang when they landed in the clearing. We still don't have a solid answer of how many people are employed in the Lazarus building, though there is a lot of empty space in rooms whenever we see something happening. Even a number as small as 30 people would have a hard time making a new life with just the clothes on their back. And they better not tase anyone. Although it looks like under Kira's rule they exchange tasers for guns, so I don't know. That's a very good question. Okay, now if James were to succeed with Project Blue Moon, what does that mean? Like, young James will be there too, so you would have a timeline where old James prevents Isaiah from being taken, which means young James gets a great new life with his son, but is old James going to force himself in there like they're a trio now? 
because I feel like that would sort of like make a weird dynamic for everyone. And I don't think it would guarantee a great life for any of them. So what's the deal, James? Like, what are you thinking? That's a very good question. I also was wondering if Kira can take over the whole building overnight, then I guess you don't need to be some scientific genius to run the place. Like we're giving James all this credit for the whole thing. Did he just take it from someone else? Caroline vouches for him being a leading force in the Lazarus Project, but did they just put him in this spot? And if so, who are they? Like, if James isn't running things, then who is? That's a very good question. If we're following the timeline that's set out, how is Levi killing James going to help anything? Especially if they would just put Kira in charge. Levi is obsessed with killing James, and when he can't, he decides to bring down the portal, and the whole entire building. Why didn't he just start there? The only time we've ever seen something from the past affect the future is when Levi's plane and Eve's letter to Gavin were uncovered by Aldridge's archaeology team. I guess you could count the Santa Monica sinkhole too, but in that not happening, they really just prevented something that could happen. They didn't change the way that something did happen. So what is everyone thinking? James built this building. They've all experienced time travel already. This stuff has happened. You can't just wish it away, right? That's a very good question. In an ethical quandary, I guess it's fair to say that no one else in the camp deserved even light consideration for the EpiPen except Ella. At the start of the swarm, she is helping with the water thing, so she's actually doing something to better help the community at the clearing, but Ella's death is a real merciful end for a character who served no real purpose in the time that she landed in. She made a really impulsive decision to jump into the hole, and from there she was just watching the clock until her eventual death. But that's not what I'm asking here. What I'm asking is, why do Veronica, Scott, and Riley get to decide who lives or dies? That's a very good question. Regarding Lucas and Veronica, in La Brea style, we have two people in states of undress making out hard Recently, we discovered that in the case of Levi and Eve, that meant that they actually had sex. So did Lucas and Veronica have sex? And if so, why is he so noticeably absent from the Swarm episode, where Veronica hits another emotional peak? For all we know, he died from bee stings too. He didn't, but his absence in this episode is unusual and obvious. Why'd they do that? That's a very good question. Digging deeper. This week we're going to talk a little bit about Riley, who is Sam's daughter, but she's more than that, and thank God she's more than that. At the start of the show, Riley is riding in a car with her dad when a sinkhole opens, and prior to this, Josh gives her a glance from the back seat of his mom's car, and Riley rolls her eyes at him. Are you freaking joshing me, dude? We find out eventually that Riley is a lapsed medical student. She has quit medical school but hasn't told her dad, who is a medical professional. Riley seems a bit more bohemian than her dad. She seems to enjoy freedom and creativity and all sorts of things like that. But once she gets a taste for saving lives, she decides she likes it and that she'll be going back to medical school if she ever gets that chance again. She's been from 2021 to 10,000 BC to 1988 back to 10,000 BC. So she's seen a lot. And she must be traumatized by it because she's in a relationship with Josh. Although in Swarm, we see her operate away from Josh, where she befriends Veronica. And this is good. You can't build a whole life around a romantic partner. 
and Riley gets to stretch out a bit and be there for Veronica in the end. If anyone could use more support, it's Veronica. So I like this team up. Riley is a healer, and she's helping to heal Veronica. Riley is portrayed by Veronica St. Clair, which makes typing this challenging for me. Which Veronica am I talking about? Veronica St. Clair? Veronica in the show? Riley is away from her mother and brother. The brother seemed pretty cool, though I wonder what he must be thinking since the girl that he met from school, who also lost someone to the La Brea sinkhole, has essentially disappeared from school. Different people have had major arcs in La Brea, but I feel like Riley isn't one of them. She's had a few small stakes growth moments, but she has yet to add to the major storyline of the whole, time travel, etc. In the Houston Press article, Veronica St. Clair describes how she sees Riley through the music that she thinks she'd like. Quote, there's a darkness to it. There's an edginess, but there's also a strength in music she would listen to. She's a 19-year-old. She's a sophomore in college. She gets what she wants. She's precocious. And she really is a loving person. But I would also say that she knows who she is. She's grounded and confident. And I thought that the music that she would listen to would kind of be anthematic in a way. And maybe a little bit edgy. And in some ways gritty. Veronica St. Clair has brows that will not quit. And you can also catch her in Netflix's 13 Reasons Why and the incredible Netflix show, Unbelievable. Here's a preview. The next two episodes are called The Journey, Parts 1 and 2. All we have to go on is the preview from NBC, which came after The Swarm, and a little capsule summary from the Internet Movie Database. The preview that we see starts with a lot of fire, you know, a building blew up. And the people that we can see fully that have survived the explosion are Levi, Gavin, Eve, Izzy, Josh, and Ty. We also see Sam, Riley, Lucas, and Veronica. So that explosion really didn't affect our core cast at all. The only one who will die is Ty. Thanks, Levi. You're a selfish jerk. Also in the preview, Gavin tells of another portal. This is a much more low-key spot, maybe where the Bible coordinates go. There's also lightning, and that feels bad. Or does it? But the only power source capable of generating 1.21 gigawatts of electricity is a bolt of lightning. Unfortunately, you never know when or where it's ever going to strike. Kira also has people who draw weapons. Gavin has a really weird look on his face. The new portal has a reddish-orange light which seems like a bad color, right? We don't like things that are red. But they do encounter a CGI cave lizard. The way that the preview portrays things, it looks like a man and a woman are fighting each other in a cave. And one looks like Eve, for sure. But I feel like that's a misdirect. There's also a lot of people looking up, which may or may not correlate to the giant dinosaur footprint that we see in the end. It's pretty convincingly a T-Rex footprint, albeit a little shallow than I would expect. I would laugh a lot if they thought they were going to the future, but they ended up taking a portal even further in the past by accident. We'll see about that. But here's an unexpected development. The description of The Journey Part 2. With Gavin on the verge of dying, Eve and her family make a desperate attempt to set things right, even as an unexpected twist threatens to tear them apart. Veronica reveals a secret that sends her relationship with Lucas into jeopardy. Look, we don't need Veronica and Lucas's relationship to be in jeopardy. These two people are holding on to their sanity with, like, shoelaces, okay? Let these two poor people have, like, a day off or something. 
With that said, we will see how all of this stuff comes together and develops. In the media reviews. I don't really see a lot going on that I'd like to talk about with in the media reviews this week, but a few outlets have pointed out that the La Brea ratings are slipping a bit. For the Tuesday night time slot at 9 o'clock, they come in fourth behind FBI International, The Rookie, Feds, and The Accused, which is on Fox. I can't speak for all of these, but The Accused is pretty good. The Flash is the only thing underneath La Brea in the ratings. And... You know, in case anybody at NBC is like, huh, why is La Brea slipping in the ratings? You know what? Maybe one way to keep ratings up is to make this show easier to watch. I've noticed a lot over the past few years that networks take big breaks, you know, like mid-season breaks for some reason. And sometimes they have a reality show go 8 to 9 one week and then 8 to 10 and forego the show that you tuned in for the next week. And then you think it moved to another day, but it's actually back the following week, but you didn't think to come back to it because it wasn't there last week. I realize that all these changes are a grab for viewers, but it makes it really hard for people who want to watch the show to actually find it. And sure, you could say it's on streaming, but streaming gives us the illusion of being able to watch forever. I can catch up anytime, you think, and then it disappears from Hulu. So now you get Peacock, and you try to watch the episodes, but there's so many damn commercials. Anyway, that's all I got for In the Media Reviews this week. So thank you yet again for tuning in to the La Brea Purveya. It's been an honor to serve you as your purveyor. If you enjoy what you're listening to, you are welcome to rate us somewhere. If you have any questions or ideas, you can reach out at shout at yallheard.me. That's an email address for the parent podcast of this show, Y'all Heard. If you have a dollar to spare, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash yallheard. Otherwise, I ask you to enjoy yourself and think about your journeys, part one and two. And also ask yourself, if you were a T-Rex, which La Brea cast member would you eat first? Don't forget, you can tell me that at shout at yallheard.me or leave a voicemail at 570-POD-WAD-1.